Welcome to the Compelling Words Podcast. The Word of God is meant to move us. It's meant to call us to action. Listen in as Kevin Purdy teaches and presents a genuine and compelling message from the Word of God. Got a question for you this morning. Do you remember Sam the Snowman? Now do you remember Sam the Snowman? All right, yeah. Sam was the name of the animated snowman in the classic 1964 Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer Christmas special. He wore that green plaid vest and a derby hat, and he sang with a banjo. And his voice, actually, he was voiced by a native from Illinois, someone from Illinois, Burl Ives. Burl Ives did his voice, did the singing along with him, and you could probably remember that distinct sound of his voice. He, uh, Sam narrated the story. He wasn't a part of the story, he just narrated the story as it was told. He invited the audience to pull up an ice block and lend an ear. You know, the Christmas holiday is filled with all kinds of stories. Stories about a reindeer with a glowing nose and an elf who wanted to be a dentist. A snowman that comes to life, a magical train ride to the North Pole. Stories about a boy and all he wants for Christmas is a Red Rider BB gun. About an ordinary man who accidentally causes Santa to fall off his roof on Christmas Eve, and therefore he has to finish the job and become Santa Claus. A funny story about a grown man who was raised in the North Pole as one of Santa's elves, and he goes to New York City to find his real father. Stories about chaotic and crazy family get-togethers. One story about a family get-together that was so crazy that they end up leaving the country to celebrate Christmas as a family, and they leave their boy home all alone. (laughs) Stories of all kinds. Stories that warm the heart. Stories that make us laugh. Stories of Christmas romance. Hallmark has made a whole host of money off of making Christmas movies, Christmas stories. Christmas is most definitely a season that is just filled with stories. And right at the heart of Christmas is a story about a miracle birth. A baby born to a virgin, born in a barn, and laid in a manger. We hear that story Every year, let's read it once again. And this time, I'm going to read. And as the verse comes up on the screen, you all read that verse. So let's read through this. In Luke chapter 2, verse 1 through 20, here's what it says. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinus was governor of Syria. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, 
because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She wrapped him in cloths, placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, And on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things, and... The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were very good. Nice job. We hear that story every single year. We read through this story. But is it just a story or is it something more? I recently came across an article that caught my attention. I don't remember what the title of the article was, but it was asking the question about where was Jesus born? That was the, that was the subtitle that was talking about the topic of this article. Where was Jesus born? According to the article, Jesus probably wasn't born in Bethlehem. According to the article, the gospel authors, Matthew and Luke, were not making a historical claim about where Jesus was born, but they were essentially making a theological claim. The Old Testament has all of these prophecies about the Messiah coming from Bethlehem. So according to this article, Matthew and Luke wanted to convince people that Jesus was the Messiah, so they wrote a legend about him coming, being born in Bethlehem, a story about him being born in Bethlehem to give credibility and help establish that Jesus was the Messiah that the scriptures talked about. Now, I've told you all before that I am a natural skeptic. That is my default position. My default position is disbelief. When I hear something, when I read something, my default position is I don't believe it. Because I tend to question everything because I don't want to believe something if it's not true. I, I want to know that what I believe in has truth to it. That it's not just something to believe in just because, that there's reason for it. And that's why when I read this article, honestly, I wondered, is it possible? Could what they claim be true? 
Is the nativity story real or is it just a a made-up story, a legend that has been told all through the years to give Jesus this credibility as the Messiah? Honestly, it kind of rattled me. But I'll be honest, it only rattled me for a brief moment. It didn't take long for me to remember why I know that it is actually true. I had to fast forward. I had to fast forward the story. I had to fast forward about 33 years. Because when that baby from the manger grew up, there was one irrefutable moment in history that made it absolutely clear that he was the Messiah, the Lord and Savior. In 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul is writing about it, and he calls it something. He gives it a very unique term. He says it is of first importance. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 and 4, he says this. He says, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. You see, Paul declared the resurrection of Jesus to be of first importance. Because the resurrection of Jesus is the defining moment of who Jesus is. Without the resurrection, there's no Christian faith. Without it, Jesus is just an inspirational man that taught some good things and lived a good life to kind of follow his example. Without it, Jesus is just the figurehead of a religion. Without the resurrection, the birth of Jesus doesn't really mean much. The manger is mute without the cross and the empty tomb. Matthew and Luke, you see, those gospel writers, Matthew and Luke, they did not need to make up a story to convince anyone that Jesus was the Messiah because of the resurrection. The resurrection was the most important and the most compelling evidence for who Jesus was and who Jesus is. The resurrection affirms that Jesus is the Messiah, Lord and Savior. And if we stand at the resurrection and we look back at the prophecies, the picture becomes crystal clear. Matthew and Luke Those gospel stories about Jesus' birth, Matthew and Luke, they did not change the story. They didn't add anything. They didn't change the story. They just added more details between the prophecies and the resurrection. They just added the details about when Jesus came and where he came from and the circumstances of his birth. They added details that did not change anything, but added more confirmation of who Jesus was proven by the resurrection. They just filled in the gaps. They just filled in the gaps. You see, Matthew was one of Jesus' disciples. He was with Jesus throughout his ministry. He wrote his gospel as an eyewitness, someone who knew Jesus personally. 
He wrote for a primarily Jewish audience, emphasizing Jesus as the promised Messiah that came from the line of David. Luke was a doctor and a historian. He was a close friend to the Apostle Paul. And he wrote after a very careful, detailed research and study. He wrote his gospel intending to give good reason for faith in Christ. His focus was more towards the Gentiles, and he emphasized that Jesus was Lord and Savior for all people, not just for the Jews. And that's why their accounts of the birth of Christ are somewhat different. They don't, they don't contradict, but they do have a different focus, a different perspective. For example, in Luke, in Luke, he tells us about the shepherds, about the shepherds coming to see Jesus at the nativity. Because remember, Luke wanted to emphasize that Jesus was for all people, for even the commoners like the shepherds. And Matthew, Matthew tells us about the Magi. Luke doesn't talk about them, but Matthew talks about the Magi coming to see Jesus later. Because remember, Matthew was speaking to the Jews, and he wanted them to realize that Jesus was royalty, that he was king of all kings. And these variations don't, these variations do not damage the credibility. In fact, it's actually the opposite. Because when more than one person, when more than one witness tell the exact stories, that's more suspicious. I read an article once by a uh, homicide detective, and he said that these detectives that are, that are uh, investigating these crimes, when witnesses tell stories that are identical, that's when they get suspicious. Because <laughs> how often does that happen? Most, most of you know my wife, she teaches second grade. And I remember one night she was grading and she was going over these papers and she showed me some papers from two of her students. And she says to me, she says, look at these answers and tell me what you think. So I looked and I looked again. I thought it, it was obvious. It was very obvious. The answers were wrong, but they were also identical. <laughs> word for word. And so she asked me what I thought, and I said, let me guess. I'm going to guess that these two students sit by each other in class. <laughs> and she said, uh, yeah, they do. And I said, and I'm going to guess that those two students are going to get a little extra attention from their teacher tomorrow. <laughs> and she said, yes, they are. <laughs> you see, the variations and the different perspectives on the Gospels, they make it even more trustworthy. They make it even more trustworthy. And when we put the stories together, we have the true picture, the true picture of Jesus' birth. It's not a story that was made up by one person. It's not a story that was made up by a misguided group of believers trying to start a new movement. It's... It's the New Testament testimony about Jesus' birth. It's kind of a little bit complicated, but whenever something that was written was considered to be from God, 
it would be accepted as official canon. The term is canonicity. It would be canonized. It would be declared canon. That means, yes, we're, making, we're declaring this to be authentic from God. It was considered authentic, holy, divine, and from God. The Old Testament is considered canon. And the New Testament is considered canon. There's 27 different unique writings in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, all the way through to the book of Revelation. 27 books of the New Testament. And those 27 books include Matthew and Luke, which tell us the account of Jesus' birth. In order for something that was written to be considered canon, it needed to meet certain qualifications. It needed to be authored by one of the apostles. One of the apostles. It needed to be recognized and considered authoritative by the early church, the first church that was established right after Jesus' death and resurrection. And if it wasn't written by an apostle, it needed the approval of an apostle or it needed to line up correctly and not disagree with what the apostles were teaching. There are some that were, not deni- that were denied canonicity. There's a Gospel of Thomas that did not line up with all the apostles' teachings. And it's, therefore, it was not considered canon. Therefore, we don't have it in our Bibles. The New Testament as we have it today, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all the way through Revelation, the New Testament as we have it today has passed those qualifications. And there's evidence that the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they were written within 10 to 35 years of Jesus' resurrection. They were completed, widely circulated, and considered Scripture even before the end of the first century. And there's good evidence that all 27 books of the New Testament were recognized by the middle to late 4th century. So for 16 centuries... There has not been, there's been virtually no significant debate or question about the canonicity of the New Testament. The birth of Jesus can be trusted because the birth of Jesus is written about in the New Testament. And the New Testament can be trusted as the word of God. So the story about a baby born to a virgin, born in a barn, laid in a manger, is more than a story. It is the real incarnation of the living God. It's about Emmanuel. It's about God in the flesh. Matthew chapter 1, verse 22 and 23 says, All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, And they'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Christmas is all about God with us. C.S. Lewis said it like this. He said, the birth of Christ is the central event in the history of the earth. The very thing that the whole story has been about. I've mentioned this before. I may have told you this story before, but 
Leanne and I were blessed many years ago to be able to visit Israel, the homeland of Jesus. Uh, We were able to take a trip there. We'd been married only a couple of years, so this is probably about 30 years ago or so. And one of our stops on that trip was in Bethlehem. And in Bethlehem, uh, they were selling some olive wood that had been carved into nativity scenes. And I thought... Man, how cool will that be to have a nativity scene from Bethlehem? But they were kind of pricey, and we were on a very tight, tight budget. We had been gifted the tour trip, but we were on such a budget that we didn't even eat lunches while we were on the trip because that wasn't a part of the tour package. We had a bag of potato chips that we snacked on during lunch while the tour group was having lunch because we just, I mean, we were young newlyweds. We didn't have, so we were sitting there, going, should we do this? Should we buy this? Should we? And, and we chose not to. And then later, we regretted it. But towards the end of the trip, they gave us a day off where we could go into the old city of Jerusalem and shop. That's where all the marketplace and the shops were. And the first store that we went into, they had some of those nativity scenes. And so I was looking at them, and the shopkeeper came up, and he says, Would you, you, you want to buy one? And the price tag was $160. And I said, no, no, it's too, it's too much. And he said, no, how much, how much will you pay? And I said, no, it's, it's too much. And, and he kept asking, so I just threw out a number. I said, $30. And he just laughed. He just laughed and said, no, can't do that, can't do that, no. And so, well, we kept going back and forth. And wouldn't you know it, I walked out of there with that nativity set for 40 bucks. <laughs> so we would carry that as we were with us in other shops and the shopkeepers would see it and they would start talking to me about it and they'd say, how much did you pay for that? And I'd say, we paid $40. And they'd go, oh, you robbed him. <laughs> you know, guess what? I don't feel bad about getting a really good deal that day. <laughs> and that nativity doesn't just remind me about a good deal in a Jerusalem marketplace. It reminds me of something way better and something worth so much more. It reminds me of John 3:16 and 17, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. It reminds me of 2 Corinthians 521, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It reminds me of Ephesians 2, 4 and 5. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that you've been saved. The Christmas nativity reminds me of the love of God. The amazing grace of God, the gift of salvation, forgiveness for my sins. It reminds me that there is more beyond this world. He was born into this world just like us, and because he was, we have the promise of heaven someday. Someday I will once again be with those who were in Christ and have already gone to be with the Lord. Someday 
by grace, through faith in Christ, there will be no more heartache, no more sin, no more struggle. 1 John 5 verse 4 says, For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world. Christmas tells us that in Christ there is a promise that we will overcome. Corey Ten Boom said, If Jesus were born 1,000 times in Bethlehem and not in me, then I would still be lost. There are a lot of stories told at Christmas, but there's only one that has the power to save us. There's only one that gives us the promise of eternal life. There's only one that shows us the heart of God and his incredible love for us. The story didn't end at the manger. The story didn't end at the cross. And the story didn't even end at the resurrection. The story has no end because in Christ we have eternal life. Don't just hear the story. You're invited into the story. Surrender, submit, bow, and worship. Put your faith in Jesus, Messiah, Lord, and Savior. Thanks for listening. Please take a moment to rate this podcast. May the Word of God be living and active in your life.